And it looked, the dog looked a little bit like Admiral Akbar off Empire Strikes Back. Um, so I gave it a kiss, and just as I gave it a little kiss in its forehead, it sneezed on me. Um, yeah, I got sneezed on by a pug dog that looked like Admiral Akbar off Empire Strikes Back. Welcome everybody to Sigma Sports Presents the Tour de France Unplugged with me, Matt Stevens. The race is over, and what a race it was, but the pod is not. Now, um, it says on my notes here, ad lib hotel chat, uh, I'm not in the hotel. I was in no fit state to do any podding the, uh, the, at all this morning from my hotel in Paris. Um, technically, I did have a time slot, but that time slot was spent um, sleeping and then trying to find some coffee and then running around um, because we had some issues with extra merchandise um, for Eurosport. So I had to go to a decathlon, which was in the center of a aqua park. <laughs> and I only had half an hour to do it. And I was running around taking photos of things because it was so complicated that, um, to get into this place that I was worried I was actually going to get lost and miss, miss my flight. So I had to buy a rucksack for Pete, ran back to the hotel, all in a bit of a tizzy. And then I had to unpack um, our free Baileys that me and Bradley got sent um, and then safely pack it into my suitcase. So it was quite an interesting day, but there wasn't any time for podding. So I'm podding now from the safety of my usual pod location, which is at home in my little office. Uh, and I'm feeling a lot better, as you can probably tell by the added depth, I think. Um, I'm probably one register lower. Um, I'm still suffering a bit, but not from any headaches. It's purely... Um, tiredness now so after this pod i'm gonna have a pizza and get some kip anyway it has been an incredible tour de france hasn't it um probably one of the most memorable in recent times um that's what i think i think that's what most observers speak uh, think and i think speaking to the riders too they they agree uh there were so many different highlights so in this particular episode i'm going to look back at the last six stages and the whole race and i'll take a look at where my fancy team finished uh, in our podcast league and i can tell you it wasn't very high uh, also in the pod bernie eisel gets a bit disappointed by lord uh you're not lord the singer lords the place um because <laughs> i mean i quite like lords i don't know um if bernie actually is a fan of the new zealander uh, at all, but I think she's great. Um, no, Eurosport producer Pete briefly get this kidnaps a nun, right? And Bradley Wiggins suffers a yop overdose. Yes, you heard that right. Right, let's get cracking. Um, throughout the tour, I've been using my downtime to record little clips from my experiences on the ground as a reporter for Eurosport, GCN, Warner Brothers, Discovery+. Plus. Uh, it's a kind of behind the scenes of my personal experiences at the tour, which happen to be rather heavily influenced by not just the race itself, but French hypermarkets, which I'm eternally fascinated with. Uh, there's been some corkers this year, and also car bonnet lunches. Uh, speaking of which, that's where my first clip begins, near the start line of stage 16 in Carcassonne. So um, we're in Carcassonne, me and Pete, uh, just on the, uh, the stage is gone. We've just been to a brand new giant Leclerc. We've had a classic car bonnet lunch, quite a healthy one in fact, but um, it wasn't without its incident, um, was it Pete? Do you want to just talk us through exactly what happened and, and, and to be honest with you, how you're coping? Um, to be honest, I think it's a bit unfair of you to ask me to talk about this so soon after it's happened. Apologies, but the people need to know. I understand, I understand you've got to ask the difficult questions. But um, we said it was, it's a beautiful day here. It's 29.5 degrees, so it's not too hot. Um, we, you arranged everything beautifully on the bonnet, didn't you? Oh, cheers for that, yeah. I, th I thought about it, yeah. And uh, obviously it was quite windy, though, so I had to be careful with where I put things. Yeah, so I, I took a picture because I thought this is a really, really lovely situation. We're going to have a lovely lunch here. Um, we got some sushi, we got some crudite and a pot of hummus, so it was yeah, lovely, nice, healthy lunch, light lunch. And I was very excited to start digging in, and disaster struck, didn't it, Matt? Well, there's a big gust of wind, um, we were all taken by surprise, um, and I've, I've never ever seen wind interact with sushi like it did, um, so what happened? Well. There was a huge gust of wind, and the ad blue that we just put in the car fell from the side of the car and distracted us, basically, mm. didn't it? And as we were distracted, I mean, what can only be described as lift um, occurred underneath the tray of sushi, <laughs> and 
it took to the skies like the Wright brothers. <laughs> it did like like a like a like a fish and rice uh, Wright brothers aeroplane, <laughs> and and it, but in the end, like a lot of the early Wright brothers attempts, it ended in disaster uh, because it tumbled to the tarmac, didn't it? It did, and the strewn across the tarmac was rice, um, the seaweed paper that, of course, sushi is used to, you know, as the binding agent. Yeah. Um, there was salmon. There was little bits of tuna. There was little bits of avocado. I'm really finding it difficult to talk about this. Yeah, we're gonna have to cut there. But um, so ultimately, I shared my sushi. Um, luckily, the Pringles stayed upright. Um, so difficult. So people be right, uh, but we have to move on. Um, bless him. Look at him. Still crying. <laughs> Just sort of the finish in Foix. It's been all hot all this tour, but this stage in particular, ridiculously hot for the riders and for us at the, in the, at the finish line. There's Pete here, he's got a, what's called an Avi West on his back. It has the camera and the Avi West, which basically transmits the signals which then get beamed back uh, to our production team to post them, to put them online, oh, on the telly. Uh, and it's heating up. So Pete is like, it's like having something hot on your back uh, and then walking into a sauna fully clothed. Yeah, like a, like having a radiator on your back and holding a camera up and um, and yeah, coordinating everyone as well. It's um, it's a bit silly, really. It's it, I quite like it because Pete's talking to people and I think he's talking to me all the time and he's like whispering and again and as you just said, co- uh, coordinating all the other troops that we have on the ground here. And I think he's talking to me, so it's a little bit weird. But also, one of the wonderful things, one of the Ineos Grenadier Swaneurs just walked by with a big bag of ice drinks and kindly offered up some Ineos drinks what have you got there Pete I've got an Ineos Grenadier cycling team official partner SIS juice drink uh, flavour apple and raspberry I think I've got one of the same I've also got a San Pellegrino lovely people it's high end stuff it is high end stuff and and what are we what have we placed your camera and the drinks upon Pete tell me <laughs> until you said that I didn't even realise what we were doing but um, it's um, it's a large bin it's a large a very large industrial bin however it's rather clean, to be honest. It is actually. I think it's quite new, yeah. and freshly, freshly, freshly made. <laughs> oh, we're going delirious with the heat. See you later. Well, this particular stage, say 16, won ultimately by Hugo Ull of uh, the Israel Premier Tech team, was, as we all know, exceptionally significant um, because. As he pointed to the scar and he crossed the line, it was in memory of his um, of his brother who was killed in a hit and run accident ten years previously. So it had carried a particular poignance this stage, um, poignancy, should I say? And um, and as well, it was Ugo Ull's first ever road win as a pro. He's been the national TT champion of Canada on a couple of occasions and has won time trials, but never won a road win. So what a place to do it! Uh, ten years, uh, ten years following his. Uh, his brother's passing away. It was, um, yeah, very powerful, and it resonated. Actually, the power of that resonated through the, through the through the paddock at the end, where we were all gathering, and as well, it was one of the most oppressively hot days of the year. It was when I think in in the UK, things touched forty degrees. So it was, um, yeah, a gripping stage, um, an amazing ride by Ugo. As well, nobody expected him to uh, to win the stage, but boy, was he strong! And um, it was a Canadian one-three, wasn't it? I don't think that's ever happened in a stage of the Tour de France before. Well, it hasn't happened. And I, I did actually chat to Mike Woods, friend of the podcast, following the stage, and he he was amazed by it. But yeah, he um, he thought that they'd send Hugo up the road as a bit of a foil, let the wheel go. But I don't think they expected him to win in the manner that he did. So absolutely magnificent. Yeah, massive congratulations again to Israel Premier Tech and Ugo Ull, um, an absolutely sensational win. Right, um, the theme of Carbonate Lunches continued. Uh, again, it's pretty regular, this feature, isn't it, on Stage 17, where I did a bit of a round robin with my Eurosport team. Uh, then, at the finish in Perigode, I tried to kiss a dog, but it didn't go entirely to plan. So, what stage is it? What stage? 17. Stage 17, Pyrenean stage. It's a short but sweet stage. So, we're having a short but sweet bonnet lunch. 
Um, okay, we need a bit of a roll call because there's quite a few of us here today. It's a um, little gaggle of, uh, of males um, aging between the age of 21 um, and 52. So let's start off on my left hand side with Ty. Hi there, Matt. It's having a bit of green gazpacho here to switch it up from the traditional red one. A bit of pasta salad and a sandwich because I'm starving because breakfast was minimal. <laughs> breakfast was very, very minimal indeed. Uh, Pete. Matthew, wonderful to see you. Um, I'm, I've got a tuna niçoise salad. Um, last time I had one of these, it was um, it, the taste amounted to dog's mess. So I've got a backup poulet roti wrap. Um, I've got a little smoothie, and I've treated everyone to a Nesquik snack for dessert. That's because you're a lovely man. Um, Steph, what do you have for lunch today on the bonnet? Oh, it's quite easy. It's a jambon et cheddar sandwich and some yop on the side and that's it you can also have some of our crisps and doritos if you want no not for me you're not a dorito fan no 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 no, no. not that one we need a, a sweet barbecue one and this is sweet chili pepper not for me what about, i've got some pringles here the uh, by spicy barbecue are they good enough perfect perfect okay you can have some of those oh just to wrap things up then i've got a uh, bio tabbouleh oriental flavour with a bit of soft mint um, I've also got some olives and tomatoes with some garlic um, and some uh, fl- flame spicy barbecue Pringles um, and for pudding we've all got a little Nesquik snack because as we said before Pete's really nice I've also got some granola gros eclat de chocolat biscuits bought by you I believe yes uh, just another little thing uh, this is more of a welfare issue uh, are you addicted to apples no I take that for the team it's good when we are on the finish line to have a quick apple. It's good, tasty, perfect. A quick apple. Hashtag quick apples. <laughs> Just at the top of the Col de Perigud where um one of the recent James Bond films was filmed, so it's on that runway just to the to the top. And on the way up. Um, came across a, a woman in a polka dot jersey um, from the clerk, the girl, the clerk, the sponsor of the King of the Mountains uh, jersey, been given them out. She had a little dog. I think it was a pug, and we were in a bit of a traffic jam, so we pulled over. And it looked, the dog looked a little bit like Admiral Akbar off Empire Strikes Back. Um, so I gave it a kiss, and just as I gave it a little kiss in its forehead, it sneezed on me. Um, yeah. So that, that, that's, that, that's all this little post is about. I got sneezed on by a pug dog that looked like Admiral Akbar of Empire Strikes Back. Incredibly, uh, when I did video, well, Pete videoed it and I kissed the dog, I was so caught up in the moment that I forgot I'm, I'm highly allergic to dogs. Um, so maybe it's just a placebo because um, because I forgot I was allergic to dogs and engaged in a, a very small affectionate kiss on the dog's little forehead. Um, I Afterwards I thought, oh my God, I'm going to come up in welts or my eyes are going to um, stick shut and I'm going to start sneezing. But alas, no. And so it could be it could be the psychological side of it, or it could be just the lovely mountain air, or the dog had been freshly washed. Who knows? Um, right, uh, the stage itself. Um, what a corker! The thing is, every single stage was a corker. Every single stage had its has its had its own rich narrative. But this one, um, Tade Pogacar, couple of minutes down, but went on an all-out offensive through everything that he could um, at at Jonas Vingigo and the team, and despite being depleted uh, in terms of the team numbers. There were some really standout performances, um, primarily from um, Brandon McNulty. The American did a long pull towards the end. It was the last man standing for UET Emirates. And also Mikkel Björk as well, who um, went on the front very, very early. I think it was on just the second climb of the day and tore the, the field to pieces. Um, and certainly had Geraint Thomas and a lot of other riders on the back foot spoke to Geraint after the finish of that particular stage. Um, and he said it would made him feel very uncomfortable. They didn't expect the UEE to, to take to the race or take the race by the scruff of the neck. It was a real, it really lit it up despite having depleted numbers. And Tadej Pogacar went and won the stage Um a real proper battle up a brutally steep slope. The climb's hard enough, but then that the last 350 metres on an old airstrip um, 
which has been used in a James Bond film, the name of which escapes me. I think it might be Tomorrow Never Dies, actually. Um, was a, was an absolute thriller. In the end, Pogaccio won it, um, an important victory for him, but um, he only managed to steal back four seconds. But um, this this race, so it was just Ill, absolutely electric. Prochainement on the pod menu is this. Lots of fun in the next batch of clips um, from Stage 18, which started in Lords. Uh, I chat to Bernie Eisel, who is actually slightly disappointed by the Pyrenean religious hotspot. Um, he had a right rant to the dinner table, bless him. Uh, then we hear Pete, um, his amazing story of how he almost kidnapped a nun. Mm. And finally, I reflect on President Macron's presence at the race having a negative impact on my day. Just got my enormous microphone on my little uh, handheld. It's a microphone that's too big, for the, but it looks quite good. It looks like a little, um, like a little soldier. Anyway, talking of little soldiers, it's Bernie Eisel. Uh, Bernie, describe where we are. We're in Lourdes. It's a religious place, but at the same time, also a little bit weird, weird place here. I have to admit, it's like. I expected a little bit more, but it's just packed, an old town packed with probably 6,000 hotels or something. Not beds, it's just 6,000 hotels. <laughs> you, you had a, if you, if you don't mind me saying, Bernie, you're quite, um, I wouldn't say you had a rant, but yesterday at the dinner table, you got very upset about how, how you didn't like the, how many hotels there were and how it, it felt very cheap here. Oh yeah, I was I'm very upset. It's like <laughs> it's pretty much when you check in, you already have to check out. It's like, it's like you have to check in not before ten o'clock at night, but you have to leave the room at eight o'clock in the morning. And that was also the noise we heard this morning when an army of people left the hotel at six o'clock. It's like oh yeah, to go and do the the things that you do in in Lord. Uh, also, can you just describe what we had for dinner yesterday? Because it was quite the salad was nice, but what, what, what did you make of that that enormous sausage? The fries were good, the salad was good, the sausage wasn't good, but we leave it there. Bernie Eisel, what a lovely man. Um, just off the back of that little chat with Bernie, I almost forgot uh, to record something that was, well, Pete, a regular on the podcast, um, he all know, uh, my travelling partner, also um, a dear friend, um, I think it's fair to say. Um, Pete, what happened yesterday at the car park before we actually got to our hotel? Because it was quite, um, well, just tell us what happened. It was a bit odd, wasn't it? Well, um, I don't know whether to describe it first or to just tell the story. Just tell the story. So, um, we are a very, well, it's a very strange car park. You have to get an outdoor lift up to the top uh, to go to our hotel. So came to my hotel. I've got two quite big bags. So I've got a lot of stuff uh, here for a whole grand tour. So big, two, two fairly sizable suitcases. And uh, when we, when the doors opened to the lift, we were met by a gaggle of nuns. Gag- so this official term is a gaggle of gaggle, nuns. Yeah, a gaggle of nuns were there. Um, one of which was in a wheelchair. Um, and they started kind of piling into the lift as we left fair to say and uh, so we kind of tried to sneak off and get away from them as quick as possible and one of my as we, as, I, as we were walking away with the two suitcases I kind of felt a bit of a weight on one of the suitcases and I thought ah oh, maybe it's got stuck so I just kind of dragged it and then dragged it for probably another you say about a meter yeah and then I thought oh, that's a bit too heavy and I turned around and I had inadvertently kidnapped a nun in a wheelchair you were dragging her towards your hotel room basically weren't you I was basically dragging her towards my hotel room while she frantically tried to wheel forwards but didn't quite have the strength to um, counteract my pulling of my suitcase dear listener uh, please picture that in your mind's eye Uh, lovely Pete kidnapping a nun in Lord of all places Well, there we go, top of the Hotacam. Boiling hot, another boiling hot day here in the Pyrenees. Um, you know, I'm just looking over the valley. Um, it's an incredible view um, on the top of the climb here. I've just finished interviewing, interviewed Tali Pogacci for the first time. The disappointment in his face, I think he realizes the tour now uh, is, uh, is lost. <clears throat> Unless something strange happens. 
Um, so he was visibly disappointed. Um, Jonas Vingigo looks delighted, looks so strong, didn't he? What a victory, what a win, what a team ride. And then um, I think my favourite chat today was with, uh, um, well, Van Aert. Really, really interesting answers. Um, I asked him if he thinks he could win a Grand Tour, but he was he was saying probably not. I don't know. I, I think he he possibly might. But uh, yeah, another big uh, day done. Now I've got to travel to our hotel off the mountain. The President Macron is here as well. You'll probably hear a few uh, motorbikes and stuff being uh, moved around. Macron is here. He's on the podium. And that generally means getting off the mountain could be a nightmare. So uh, I'm going to dash to my car. Um, drive to the hotel and then I'm going to get picked up by taxi to go to uh, Toulouse Airport to pick up Sir Bradley of Wiggins uh, in the morning. So I've got a, a bit of a logistical day today. Whoa, what a stage. It had absolutely everything, didn't it? Again, Tade Pogacar threw everything that he could at Jonas Vingigo, but the team were simply too strong. Um, and when they broke away, again, I haven't got my, my notes with me about what particular climb it was, but when they broke away together um, and Pogacar was pushing, pushing, pushing on the descent, we saw Vingigo nearly lose it on a left-hander. And then only a couple of bends later, as is very well documented, um, Tade Pogacar went wide managed to shave a lot of speed off, ended up in the gravel. And it looked like he'd kept the bike upright and then wiped out. Um, it was that moment, one of the most significant moments in the race, not just from a not just a racing perspective, but from a respect um, and a sportsman-like perspective. Jonas Vingo, of course, waited for him. They then had a, a handshake and then they continued hostilities. A few more riders got back on. Uh, and then we had... Um, Essentially, it was the crowning moment, I think, for Jonas Vingigo. And, and I think at that that point, Pogacar knew that the race was lost because, in, quite incredibly, um, with no surprise, Pogacar was was fatigued by the amount of attacking that he'd done and also by the fact that he'd, he didn't have many teammates left after the efforts of Mikkel Björg um, the, the previous day and also Brandon McNulty. Um, those guys were really, really tired, so he was isolated, so ended up having to be in the wind a lot and, and clearly was fatigued. But when Wout van Aert went on the front, and Wout van Aert, of course, was in the break earlier in the day uh, and was last man standing, um, it was him on the front when Vingigo came across that actually ended up dropping Tade Pogacar. Uh, absolutely incredible ride. And then another minute or so was taken uh, by the Dane uh, to really stamp his authority on on what has been an absolutely magnificent race. That particular stage was a stage for the age, the ages, I think. And post post race, I was in the in the mix zone. My turns to do the interviews, and um, I did ask. I think a lot of people have asked him, but I, I wanted to as well asked Wild Van Aert if he would ever consider taking up the GC in the Grand Tours. And he he said, no, he, he's, he just wants to win bike races and there's no guarantees he's going to win if he focuses on that. But um, I don't know, I beg to differ. But uh, certainly an absolutely thrilling, uh, entertaining stage. Um, one, I think that a lot of people will continue to re-watch. Uh, re absolutely inspirational. Right then, stage 19 was a bit special as well. And throughout the race, I think it's fair to say that Fred Wright has been riding beyond expectations. And on stage 19, he came so close to his first Grand Tour stage win that it now just seems like it's only a matter of time. And here's my reaction at the finish line. Where are we? Dynamic. Look, Cahor, thank you. Thanks, Hannah. Hannah Walker, as ever, to the rescue. Um, my, my proper microphone thing's run out of battery, so what I'm going to do is insert that over the end of my phone and see if it makes it all nice. Should I film it so you can put it? Look at that. Film it, you can take a photo if you want. This is Bernie taking a photo. Pete sipping from a Fanta straight out of the mini fridge. Thanks very much indeed, Bernie, taking a photo there. Oh, of a podcast. Of a, of a, of a, of a segment of a podcast. Uh, just wanted to share my thoughts on, uh, yeah, today's finish. Uh, weird one. A, a weird, a, a kind of very chaotic finish. Christoph Laporte ended up winning. Um, but then Fred Wright attacking in the final. Of course, Fred, fr friend of the pod. Um, 
and friend of everybody, friend of cycling. Bloody hell, what a ride. It's quite emotional, actually. He um, came across the line, got caught, overhauled after leading into the final K. He's away with Sturvin, wasn't he? Um, and they managed to interview him in a bit of a scrum. And I just said, you know, mate, a couple of other people got into questions in first, which did annoy me because um, I was first there on the scene. The etiquette of the interview scrum sometimes can be a little bit ambiguous. That's another subject. But um, no, I said he rode with real panache and real charisma and uh, the wind's not too far away and the lad welled up and then it made me well up. Really quite emotional, such a likeable fellow and so strong. You know, um, I can see him winning some, some big, big races in the next couple of years and certainly turning it on for his team anyway. So I just wanted to reflect on the... Yeah, the penultimate, penultimate. There's a, there's a word, isn't there, for the penultimate, penultimate. So it's not the penultimate stage is tomorrow, which is the time troll. Today's stage 19. There is a word for that. Um, so if anybody you want to get in contact, it's at Real Stevens on Twitter, um, at Sigma Sports. Um, the proper word for the penultimate, penultimate. Anyway, well done, Fred. Absolute corker of a ride. But um, alas, no cigar but that day will come soon. Anyway, we're going to get jump in the car. Bradley Wiggins is fast asleep at the moment. Uh, Alberto Contador sat on a monument with some portaloos in the background uh, on his phone. Um, he loves a bit of social media. Um, we've got about an hour and 20 minutes drive. Uh, so that was stage 19. Uh, yeah, uh, with my handy phone microphone. It's exciting, isn't it? Hashtag technology. Hashtag foamy things. It was another victory for Jumbo Visma, but importantly, it was the first win for the French in this edition of the Tour de France. Up to that particular point, there was no Italian stage win, no Spanish stage win, and importantly, no French stage win. So Christophe Laporte legged it, didn't he, with about 400 metres to go up a, up a climb. It was a finishing straight that I think a lot of teams and riders underestimated. They knew it was a bit of a drag to the line, but it was maybe 4 or 5% at times, so certainly not a usual bunch sprint. And of course, Fred Wright clipped off with about 10Ks to go and was caught with about 500 metres to go, um, desperately close. Uh, and of course, Fred is a previous guest of the podcast. Um, check out episode 74 to hear what he had to say. Um Top, top lad. Definitely one of my favourites. Now, let's bunch the final two stages together in this montage. Everything was starting to blur together at this point. I was starting to be a little bit frazzled, um, a little bit of Grand Tour reporters' fatigue, and you think the runners have it hard. Right, the night before stage 20, we were thrown out of a pub very creatively. Then you'll hear my reaction to Walt Wenard's TT win, as well as Brad's yop overdose. Then you'll hear some foley from the start of the final stage, which was the first time I've ever been at the start line that was indoors. And the final clip is from the morning after the night before, if you know what I mean. Oh, penultimate day, stage 20. Um, we're in a beautiful part of France. We're staying in a lovely hotel. Had a, had a, had a late night last night. Um, really nice night. Alberto and Hannah. Um, yeah, everybody, basically. Um, it's a good night. So I'm just getting the car now. Uh, load up our bags. I wish I could stay here, actually. It's like a beautiful, beautiful hotel just off the main road. Um, full of beautiful art. Actually, just finding where my car is. Here we go. That's the boot popped. I'm just going to drive up to the reception. Um, I don't know why I'm saying this, but oh, yeah. Oh, so basically, we, I bought some Toblerone from the supermarket. Eight one, and the Bella eight the other one. That's Bradley's daughter who's with us. And the left one in the glove co- in the in the central thing on the car. And it turned into a frube, basically. Um, but I'm looking at it now, and it's, it's reshaped itself. It was a frube, now it's just, I can hear it breaking. That's the sound of a Toberone that's lost its identity, lost its shape. Um, I'm really rambling. <laughs> oh, I'm, so, I'm tired, really tired. A great night though. Oh, I saw Perry and all the Welsh folks last night. Uh, that was good. Um, so one thing about the talk, quite often you stay at hotels and randomly bump into other people on the race. Um, in this beautiful town we had a lovely lovely meal inside and it was quite hot then we sat outside and met the Welsh guys then we found a pub uh, that served us till two 
and then um, but we wouldn't we wouldn't I wouldn't say we were belligerent we were reluctant to leave and in the in the end the the, the woman who owned the pub got a leaf blower <laughs> and ushered us all out with this leaf blower it was hilarious so it was a good night two more stages to go uh uh, I do love the tour, but I'm exhausted. I'm looking forward to coming home, but um, it's been brilliant. Great team, but we're all a little bit bedraggled in a good way. Well, we, we, we deliver, hopefully. So we, me and Hannah are going to go to the start with Bradley, and then we're going to have Bernie at the finish. That's the plan today. So let's see how the TT goes. Well, I'm uh, in a place called Verizion. Um, day of the final stage in Paris. Bit of a wrap-up after yesterday. Superb TT by Jonas Vingigo. Amazing TT by Wild Van Aert. It was a really hot day. We uh, spent most of it, me and Hannah spent most of it at the start area because it was quite a long way from the finish. Just... Uh, grabbing bits of content which was good fun um, so I actually only saw the finish on my phone which is bizarre you're at the Tour de France but quite often you're not where the racing is um, so it's quite strange but it was a great race um, bit of tension when he nearly laid it down on that bend but um, no very busy hot day got to the finish after all that brilliant ride by Geraint as well from a British perspective super ride fourth on the TT um, he's got to be proud with that, with that happy with that third place I think third place in, in this year's tour has got a different sheen to it uh, he's the best of the rest but when you're the best of the rest at, at, at this level of the sport it's not bad and I can see why people think his coaches think he's uh, in the best form of his life even better than when he won the tour um, that says a lot, I think, about the current generation of riders and their ability. But yeah, we, we then um, picked up Bella. So Bella, uh, she's been on the pod a few times. Well, you've heard her name. That is Brad's daughter. She was in the car with me and Brad. We had a 300k drive to a place called Verizon, which I'm stood in now. Um, we stayed at a B&B hotel uh, in a, an interesting part of town. Um, we arrived quite late, but a couple of lads had already been to try and find a bar, and they said... When they went to the bar, it was like it was like being the Moss Eisley. Um, on, is it Moss Eisley on Tatooine? To use a Star Wars reference, and they, they went in the bar, and then, again to use another um, movie reference, the dart hit the dartboard and it went all quiet. Um, apparently, it was um, quite a uh, quite a threatening, edgy place. So they all came back and took Alberto Contador bowling. Apparently, um, I was a bit fatigued. And we had a, we had a nugget stop on the way and a yop stop. Brad consumed three three seven hundred and fifty mil bottles of um, of yop, and then we had a nugget stop. And uh, the poor lad didn't look very well. Yeah, unsurprisingly, you can overdose on yop. It's just you can you can, you can yop too far, and, and that was to see that was quite powerful, to be honest with you, in many ways because. Um, what the resultant effect in the car when it let off some wind was terrifying. So, um, what else happened? Yeah, Brad was invited to do the move um, vlo- vo- video cast or whatever it is that um, George Hincapi and uh, Lance Armstrong did. So, he was on that show. So, we pitched up at a place that looked like a scene from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, fired up the laptop, and Brad guested on that, and then we moved on. Um, and now we're here for the final day. So, and the Tour Fam starts today as well. Um, unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be able to see that because I'm at the start of the men's race, do the interviews, head off to the hotel, then the finish. I might miss it, which I'm quite disappointed about. Um, but I will watch it on the telly. Um, I'm just looking at a gorgeous rose bush, not a rose bush, a cherry blossom next to a, a wheelie bin. What a contrast. Yeah, it's a strange old place. It's Sunday morning, so it's sleepy. France is mostly sleepy anyway, isn't it? Um, just looking at Moreau Funeral Services shop. It's quite sad. Um, what else is there? Another beautiful um, little cherry blossom tree and a, and a beautiful blue sky. It's all we've really seen here at the Tour, primarily. So, uh, final leg now to Paris. 
and I'll, um, I'll let you know how I got on there. But, um, yeah, B&B Hotels, they sponsor the um, B&B Hotels team, unsurprisingly. So as you walk into reception, there's pictures of professional cyclists um, clutching pillows to their faces. Um, and just in the distance, I can see a place called New Kebab. Unusual start place. This is the, the, the Paris La Défense Arena. So we've got an indoor start to the final stage of the tour. Got here with Bradley uh, safely. Uh, now I'm going to wander around the start village. Uh, it's quite echoey. Um, lots of Tour de France stage winners knocking about. You know, and you can't remember people's names. That's what's happened to me. I've forgotten how to exist, really, uh, and how to recall things. It's so intense. It's gone past the Colnago stand with a Colnago bicycle and a map of France, like a 3D map of France that you can put your fingers in, feel the texture of the race, uh, quite literally, actually. Um, and it's all its profiles. Who else can I see? A big cuddly toy to my left-hand side. Looks a bit depleted of energy, just walking up to it now. It's part of the um, Mayo Grimper, the King of the Mountains. Of course, Jonas Vingigo is the King of the Mountains. Nobody on this stand. Uh, but we're in like an arena, there's a massive screen uh, where they have gigs and stuff here. And right in the centre of the arena is the Depart Village. Um, so it's quite, it took us ages to get here, it was a right nightmare. Um, so we're going to do all our interviews inside the stadium. Uh, and then we've got two hours and six minutes to go, a bit longer than I thought. I've got plenty of time, I'm just going past the Espace Gourmand for the Dernier Foie in this tour. Um, which is the, the, the food, but I've had plenty of food. Hey, up, oh, you're right. That was the, the voice of Seb Piquet. Uh, the, he's Mr. Radio Tour, so he sits in the um, front car, and uh, he's the guy that you'll hear in your ear on Radio Tour. Um, so he's quite, he's quite yeah, the voice of the tour, really. Um, yeah, sorry it's a bit echoey. I thought I'd give you a bit of a sense of how unusual, strange this uh, final stage started and then of course we get back to the Champs-Élysées I've been watching as much as I can of the Tour de France Femme Avic Zwift on my phone um, but yeah I'm, I won't be able to see the finish live which is a little bit sad but I'll certainly watch it back a bit later anyway I'm going to go back to the Skoda stand which we've made that our unofficial HQ and plan our, our final assault on the interviews I think we're all going to go to the mix zone uh, yeah Louis Pierre is the French uh, dude that works with us um, and myself so, uh, yeah, I'm just a bit bedazzled by this whole place. It's very strange. Right, just uh, giving you a sense of the noise in the arena. This is basically the caravan going round and round and round. There's a lady warming up in front of me who does all the gymnastics on stage as well. Yeah, it's quite strange, quite strange. Anyway, I thought I'd give you a bit of Foley. Caravan Foley. Last pod nugget. Um, I am quite hungover. Um, but there you go. That's, that's, we always generally have a bit of a good night on Sunday. After the Tour de France, we go to a club called Duplex. Um, more of that in a moment. So a bit of a wrap-up for the day. Yep, did the start. Got a little bit lost in Paris with Bella. We eventually found um, somewhere to park, just outside the Ministry of the Interior, um, right next to a police van, which was quite nice. Um, watched the finish, we had an um, incredible position on the... Uh, finish just opposite the finish on the Champs-Élysées literally you one step and you were there no barriers normally we're behind barriers in the zone technique so it was incredible um, to see and feel that rush as the riders sped by every lap with that uh, late afternoon sun just uh, really really beautiful and then chatting to some of the riders afterwards on and off camera as well was wonderful uh, had a nice meal with the Eurosport crew or it was good to see Adam Blythe and, uh, and Orla amongst the others Belle as well uh, Maria all the crew um, and then after the meal which was good fun we headed off to Duplex which is the famous nightclub in Paris like an underground nightclub uh, and in there 
the first person I bumped into was Brandon McNulty from UEE. Um, had a good chat with him and his girlfriend. Um, and then it, Fred Wright, boy, that, that, that guy can dance, as well as a, an amazing bike rider and a lovely bloke. He was throwing some serious shapage on the dance floor and, um, and did buy me a shot, which was very kind of him. Um, and that got me moving as well. Uh, and also thanks to Tali Pogaccia for uh, shaking my hand, but then putting an ice cube in it um, as a joke. So thank you for that, Tade. Um, and he was on fire as well uh, on the dance floor. It's good fun, really, really good fun. Actually, everybody letting their hair down. And then I, I do believe Tade then wandered off and took over uh, the DJ slot, um, ejected the DJ from his seat, uh, and took over. It was hilarious. Uh, I got very, very, very sweaty, but I bailed at just the right moment because I was a little bit worse for wear, but I knew I had some sense and uh, got left early and then I got an Uber within three minutes um, and I know a lot of people had to stagger home in various different ways without taxis so mission accomplished um, and here I am in the airport um, about to go home reflecting on what was a, a tour for the ages really it's lovely to be back on the ground again um, with a great team and hope, hopefully I'll be back soon um, and also it's bit of a shame but I didn't actually get to see uh, the Tour de France family because we were at the start so we missed that which was a big shame but I should be watching that closely um, but no uh, a wonderful end um, a celebratory end to the Tour de France oh and oh last thing as I was driving in dropped my hire car off um, at six car rentals in the centre of Charles de Gaulle airport uh, I pulled up behind a another car and out popped Tade Pogacar um, car <laughs> and he uh, we had a bit of a chat and uh, he was feeling a little bit the worse for wear but after a good night so he's a lovely lad but that was quite strange um, and here I am looking at a big aeroplane Well, let's look back on the final two stages then. Stage 20 um, was, of course, the time trial. I was at the start um, for that particular stage. Again, boiling hot. So me and Hannah Walker spent all our day at the start line. So I didn't actually see the finish. But what we did see, which was really, really cool, um, saw the riders warm up up in the pits. Um, and we I think we did about 15, 15 bits to camera between us. Um, and we, we had one... Very cool moment. What well, literally cool moment, actually. Um, sorry, I'm going off, off a bit of a tangent. Um, we'll get back to racing in a moment where the UE team gave us a, a nice, a calippo. It was really nice uh, to keep us cool. And a lot of the riders in their warm up were, were having ice pops. It was that, it was that, that hot. But we stood just beyond these, the, uh, the starting ramp for the last three or four riders. Um, and then I had to jump in the car um, and then drive um, a very torturous route to the finish, which I ended up missing. Um, that sometimes is the nature of the Tour de France. So though you're there, quite often you do miss the action, but you see the a action from, from a completely different perspective. And the result of the time trial, I think many people would have predicted it. Um, maybe not how good Vingigo was. Of course, Wout van Aert won his third stage. Jonas Vingigo was second, only 17 seconds behind. If you watch the footage back, and um, you'll see that he does it. He coasts the last the last three or 400 metres um, because he knows that the race is his. Um, and then Tadej Pogacar, third, and a really superb ride by Geraint Thomas. Only I think he was only 32 seconds behind Wout van Aert. So. And um, there was a real, really lovely sparkle that, that, about Geraint. He's one of the oldest riders in the race, 36 years of age, of course, a previous tour winner. Um, and he is in the form of his life. Uh, he's putting out the biggest numbers, but he is up against um, so, uh, this new wave of riders, which... Um, just continue to confound us, don't they, with their amazing physiology um, and also their willingness to to rip up the rule book or just ride on instinct a lot of the time. And also thrown into the mix this really disruptive tactics that teams are, are using. So, um, But that top four um, is what we kind of expected, but I didn't expect Vingigo to be so, so strong in the TT. And another, we're going to do it again because he deserves it, another big shout-out to Fred Wright, who was eighth in the TT, absolutely flying. He'll be moving up the green jersey rankings, won't he? And then the final stage, um, the iconic Champs-Élysées stage, a really, really superb win 
by Jesper Philipsen. So two stage wins for the young Belgian um, who has immaculate hair. I did have a chat to him in the nightclub later on. And I think I did congratulate him on his hair and he seemed very pleased with that. I think he was probably more pleased with winning on the Champs-Élysées. But there was a little bit of um, consternation, criticism over Wout van Aert not, not, not sprinting. Now, on the ground, as I've just said before, um, quite often... Although we've got the TV, we're, we're busying, busying ourselves doing other things and, and prepping for interviews, especially at the finish line. It is very chaotic. And although we've got GCN Plus on our phones or, or Discovery Plus and we can watch the footage, quite often there's a bit of a lag. So you're 30 seconds behind. And in a sprint finish, that's enormous. So I didn't actually know what had played out until I saw social media today. And there are a few people um, questioning why Walton Art didn't sprint. And I can see it from both sides. I think it would have been great to see... Um, him go for another stage win, that would have been four. But also, I, I fully understand um, why he wanted to stay back. He didn't, the green jerseys won. He's already won three stages. Christophe Laporte's won a stage. Vingigo himself won two. So they've got six stage wins. Um, and that moment crossing the line as a team was clearly massively important to them. So I, I, I do get a little bit of criticism, but I also fully understand why they wanted to do that. Um, and yeah, and, and, to win and dominate the race in the manner they did to capture that final moment in, in in the most beautiful, iconic of settings. The light yesterday was in, insane. It was beautiful. It wasn't quite a sunset, but it was very long, long shadows, low afternoon light, um, not a cloud in the sky. Um, I took a few, few photos that I'm pretty happy with from low on the cobbles, but the light and just the whole setting, the scene and the smell, um, it's just beautiful. So I, I can understand uh, completely why they wanted to do that. Um, looking back, highlights for me, it's difficult to pick out highlights because the race itself and being on the race, it's so frenetic. Um, and it, it's all a little bit of a blur now as you, I've got pro cycling stats. I'm just reminding myself of what's going on because you, you, you're constantly moving on to the next thing, thinking of, and you're driving a lot, a hell, hell of a lot of driving uh, during the Tour de France, as you'd expect, um, not just the stages, but linking the, 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 the stage finish to the next stage starts. There are a lot of transfers um, and you're, you're always on the go. Um, so difficult to pick out highlights apart from just the whole experience. It's great for me to be back on the ground. Uh, the last time I was at the Tour was actually 2019 and we had the COVID years. So it's great to be back with the Eurosport Discovery um, GCN team on the ground because they're a really good bunch, Blythe and, and Aller and everybody and obviously Brad. Um, I think that's my biggest highlight, working with people who are really passionate about what they do. And, and also uh, getting these pods out has been really fun. Um, and I really quite like... Um, yeah, just recording little bits that stand out quite often away from the racing, which gives you, you all see the racing. It's everywhere, isn't it? But what you don't often see is these little behind the scenes bits. And I hope, I hope you've enjoyed it. So, um, and finally, I think my takeaway is, is just this, we are constantly talking about this new era of racing. And, um, and this race just brought that into really sharp focus. Um, it's, it's, it's exciting, it's thrilling, it's unpredictable. And what we have now I think with the with the two-time champion Tali Pogacar being beaten, I think he's just going to get stronger. I, I do think the UAE squad, they did have a lot of bad luck, but I do think they'll be looking to bolster the team because to compete against Jumbo Visma, you've got to have an exceptionally strong team. But I think that UAE as a squad rode with, with real panache, real belief. Um, and... Um, and he's such a likable character, Tadej Pogacar, but I think he's just going to get stronger and arguably be more dangerous. Um, and let's hope Egan Bernal can come back from his injury as well and get him thrown into the mix. You never know Tom Pickock as well in the next few years, but I think that might be a slightly longer-term project. But um, it's certainly going to make for some uh, wonderful Tour de France's in the next few years, that is for sure. Um, and the worst moment, um, my hangover this morning. Well, we're coming up to... Um, the bit before the outro uh, and this is called in block capitals Matt's fantasy team um, yes I finished um, in 82nd place or if you go onto the Tour de France website I finished in 82nd place which makes me smile um, uh, so yes I had let's just click and have a little look I don't need to because Niall has wonderfully written it all down um, 10,648 points which was roughly half of what um the winning score, which was won, well, the, the team that won, sorry, was Doster. Um, 
who had a quite incredible 19,517.0 points. I don't think there are any fra- um No, there's not fractions, so why they put a point in, I really do not know. Very unnecessary use for decimal point there from ASO. Hope they're listening to this, and we'll grow that for next year. Um, JSL, second place with 18,736. And in third place, Galapa to the finishing line, um, which I think we're going to award uh, a no prize for the best team name. Um, so well done, everybody. Um, if you do, I mean, this is a long way in the future now. If in about 340 days you do enter this again, p- please do not leave a blank avatar because I get a little bit suspicious. We had a little bit of a chat about this off air, me and Niall. Um, we're a bit worried that Doster, whoever you are, please get in contact, could be a bot. And that would be sad. Um, so I don't think you are, uh, but just let us know who you are, whether you're, what, what, you know, just just give us a, some, a bit of indication that you are a human being. I'm going to jump in here, Matt. I think we should invite Dosta onto the podcast um, for a quick chat about how they how they won. Well, we'll do that. You've just done it. Yeah, um, so come on, Dosta. Dosta, um, Clearly you do listen to the pod because otherwise you wouldn't have, have entered. So get in contact, in all seriousness. Email podcast at sigmasports.com. And um, we'd like to hear hear your tactics because obviously I need to learn a little bit. Um, although, <laughs> uh, But, you know, the only way is up for me, I think, next year. Um, but con- in all seriousness, congratulations. That is a hefty score. Um, and our team, uh, sticking with the Matt's Fancy Team th- uh, theme, our team of former guests finished a quite relatively respectable 97th out of the 100 teams. So just um, inside the uh, the bottom 3%, um, I think that works out as if you spin it round. Right, anyway, thanks. Just made the time cut. <laughs> yes, indeed. They just made the time cut. They, they, they did a Fabio Jakobsen, didn't they? Just inside the time cut. Crap throwing themselves over the handlebars, uh, gulping in the air, and hopefully they'll do better next time. Um, right, that's it's nearly about time to wrap this pot up, but everybody who did join in the Fantasy League, thank you very much indeed. It's been a lot of fun. Um, sorry if any of you did miss out, but we will certainly do it all next year. That was the Tour de France 2022. Absolutely amazing. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening to Sigma Sports Presents the Tour de France Unplugged with me, Matt Stevens. I hope we do get the chance to do this again next year because it's been an incredible amount of fun. We'll be back very soon with some more tangential cycling podcasts. So please do subscribe and recommend the pod to your friends. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, why not write a quick review too? Right, I'm off to have a pizza and a good night's sleep. It's been ages. Cheers all, stay safe, and goodbye.